This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles and their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soy. Bay in Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? So, what's the story of your chickens today, Mawera? Oh, my God. I went to change their water and give them some food, lifted the lid, forgetting that they've still got all their wings. They haven't clipped them yet. And they got out. And George is just always standing there waiting. George, our Labrador, always waiting. And today was his lucky day, so he grabbed one. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's the demise of my chicken. But he just held it, actually, like a good hunting dog. He held it and waited till I collected it off him. No blood on any feathers. And he was very chuffed with himself. So <laughs> all was all was fine in the end, and I need to build a new chicken enclosure now. You should get lessons from a real farmer. <laughs> oh, we just happen to know one. Oh, do we? <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> um, Sam is my pleasure. Pleasure to introduce Mr. Toby Williams, um, who lives on a farm. If you go from Whakatane to Gisborne and then you come back up the coast, you'll find Toby on a big sweeping bend. And um, his family has got a huge, rich connection to that community. They've been there for a very long time, but I'll let Toby tell that story. So welcome, Toby. Welcome. Thank you. So what's your version of where you are? Uh, we're on the east coast of the North Island of New Zealand, just north of Gisborne, about 15 minutes north of Gisborne. And our property is coastal. And then as the road jags itself back inland, before you, so you leave the coast, we follow that. There's a, there's a river up there, Wild River. We follow that up and inland a bit as well. I oh, see so you're the, 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 the farm that was, Foot Rock Flats was based on, because that was hills going down to coast, wasn't it? And in the oh, Gisborne region. No, I don't think it was. Yeah, it gives, but yeah, well, Fort Red Flats was here, certainly, but I don't think Murray Ball based it on us. But, you know, it is, uh, um, it is I suppose, a typical East Coast farm, you know, um, and, you know as Murray Ball, well, maybe not quite as Murray Ball envisaged, but certainly has the aspects of that. And you've been there a long time? Yeah, our family uh, purchased the farm in the late 1890s, um, and we've been here ever since. I think I'm the fifth, maybe, I think I'm the fifth generation to be farming here. Cool. Um, so we're pretty fortunate to, to, you know, to have been passed down through the generations and to be able to carry that on for our children. So pretty good. So you must work from home all the time. Yeah, well, I live at work. So you sort of work from home. It's quite good some days. And if you talk to my wife, it's probably not very good other days. Weekends, you know, you don't really have – as much as we try not to work the weekends, there's always something you need to do. So you're out there and doing it. So did, did lockdown change anything for you? No, it was a, it was just more of an inconvenience that um, you know that we couldn't 
Um, you know, we, we changed how we operated it with the staff. I've got a couple of staff members, and um, we just the way we interacted with each other and how we did things. I mean, for the early on, at least anyway, we we tried our best to adhere to the, um, the rules that were set out from us, realizing we had a privileged position to be in. Um, but the reality is they couldn't take that position away from us. Otherwise, we'd be in court on animal cruelty charges. So we plugged our way through it. We were busy the whole time. Um, getting the people at the vets and things like that in was difficult because we had to work around there. They were more wary of the protocols. They, they had a very important role to play. So we just took the lead from them on how they wanted to do it and made sure we jumped through all the hoops that they had there. And then again, with sharing as well, um, we, we let the shearers tell us the hoops that need to be jumped through and made sure those boxes were ticked and hoops jumped through. Because with them moving around, they would be the high risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were fortunate. We were in end of level three. I think level three just finished when we started shearing. So we sort of got away with it. The shearers didn't do much work in level four or level three. Um, and the timing for us worked out okay for when we were shearing in mid-May. Um, so we, we managed to get done. The only problem was that the weather was amazing during lockdown. And as lockdown finished, the weather wasn't as amazing as it could have been but we made it so so let's go to the first of your music choices you can explain this one with a very long title all right so it's no fx it's uh so through gasoline on the fire now we have stubs for arms and eyebrows um this takes me back to you know university school um i listened to a lot of punk music at school and this is off a compilation album um, called punkorama 3 it was one of my favorites and i really like the song just because of the um you know, it's got a ridiculously long title and it actually has very little reference to it in the song. So that's a good start. I think it's about being absurd and things going in different ways from what you expected. Yeah, yeah.
hunted chickens. Yeah, well, I told you, and you, I sent you a message saying that your um, that George is a hunting dog. He'll never, he'll never hurt a bird. No, designed, but I think he designed would have if, I home. if I wasn't home, he would have eaten it. I'm sure of it. Nah, he wouldn't. You don't reckon? Nah, he just would sit there waiting for it, or just let it go. No, he would have either waited for you, or he would have got bored and let it go. He's just, he's his instinct is to hold it, not to eat it, to hold yeah. it. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, we had a lab when we were growing. Mum and Dad had a lab when we were growing up. And she'd pick up an egg and carry an egg around for hours, you know, never breaking it. You know, she's hungry, she's a lab. Well, she wants to eat it, but yeah. she knew not to crack the egg. That's so funny. That's a good part. Well, they breed that way because you want them to pick your duck up without, you know, Making without injury or put your pheasant up so you can bring it back to you. So it's, you know, the reward for them is bringing it back to you. If they, if they damage it, well, they're not a very good hunting dog. <laughs> so have you got yeah. peafowl on your place? Yes. Less a now, though, less, eh? Less, a few less. But the, the peacock hunters aren't as regular as they used to be. And um, and numbers build up very rapidly. It's strange for the rest of us to get around, to get our heads around them being a pest. Yeah, well, they're, they're a pest. We don't notice them. Uh, like, and, and say we don't notice any damage they cause. We've got a big property and they are just a part of it. Um I think five, four or five years ago, we contacted David Marwood and said, we've got thousands of the bloody peacocks here. And they're like, no, everyone says they've got thousands. Like, no, well, they turned up and went, oh, my gosh, they've got thousands. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, but you don't it, you don't notice them. It's like the goats. We've got feral goats as well and, and feral deer. Um, you don't really notice them. They don't cause a lot of damage. Um, if You know, if they're in plague proportions, you probably would, but... You know, it's it's a difficult thing to get your head around, really, I suppose. I mean, you know, they, they came from a pier my grandparents released. They didn't like them um, uh, going to the toilet on their terraces, and so they booted them out of the home garden. And from one pier, you end up with thousands of stupid things. Do you think you look after the land more because the family's been connected so long? Or differently, perhaps? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely we do. Because, I mean, it's you know, we're privileged to be here. We're only a caretaker for the land. Um, and most, you know, many farmers will tell you the same thing that we're here as a guardian, and until we, you know, either move on or we hand down to the, to the next group of guardians. Um, so we've got a very iconic property in our region. It's close to town. It's large. It's coastal. It's an amazing scenery. If, if we're abusing that, for one, public can see it quite obviously. But you know, my, I know seeing the work that my grandparents and my mum and dad have put into it, and you want to. Um, keep that going and we had some guys come out this week um looking at uh wind sites for wind turbines i mean this has been an ongoing thing for about the last 15 years and they gave up on it last year and then with a change of policies decided to look at it again and this guy came down from i think he's from Fakatani, he came to tarong he came down and he couldn't believe the state of the farm you know we've got just read a whole lot of fences which helps we pulled some forestry out and so we've got new fences everywhere but we're still putting money into fences and, and looking after fencing native bush off, fencing our waterways off where we can, you know, and, and, and looking after it. I mean, I said, we're caretakers. If you look after it, it's here for the next generations. If you don't, well, what have you got left? Nothing. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou, hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that whatever is unfolding around you right now, wherever you are, 
that you're really enjoying this opportunity to learn and grow and evolve and experience who you are, a triumph of nature's art, connected to all life in an infinite web, and here with precious skills to share. Thank you for physically manifesting at this time. I'm so grateful we can be together. I'm so grateful for my five minutes with you every day. And I'm so grateful that we are here together right here, right now on this paradise planet, benefiting from all the lives that have gone before us, all the collective knowledge and learning and stories and understandings. And we are adding our own story and our own knowledge and our own understandings. Every single day we are here for others to see themselves in us and we are seeing ourselves all around us. We are nature perceiving itself. We are this one consciousness co-evolving and experiencing life in myriad ways. How exciting! So I've been really enjoying the opportunity today of looking at all these beautiful human animals that surround me now that we're free to frolic about with each other again. I've been really enjoying seeing all the stories that are being told, not just with words, of course, but with our body language and what we wear and how we behave and how we eat. Walking down the street with great joy and expressiveness. I was lucky enough to see that today. And how comfortable we feel to perform or to reveal our inner landscape, our inner reality to those around us. It's really, really fascinating and I'm so grateful for all the learning that we do with each other all the time. So I had quite an unexpected, joyful gift presented to me today in the form of a big rainstorm this morning. So instead of teaching beautiful, beautiful, amazing, amazing people at Sawyer's Bay School, which I'll now do tomorrow, I had the whole day for me to explore and enjoy and do lots of great self-care. And of course, one of the things that I love to do is go to my favorite bar base studio and do lots of exciting exercise and get lots of exciting endorphins and happy chemicals in my wonderful brain and look in the mirror and see that I can do all these things I never used to be able to do and never thought I could do. And now here I am doing all these things. And of course, this helped me to remember and to reflect that we're all in this time of learning right now together. And just like all of these stories that we have been told, and just like all these stories that we are being told that are surrounding us right now, we are in this part of our quest where we are facing many challenges and we're having to learn new ways of doing things and new ways of seeing, new ways of feeling and new ways of being in order to triumph and conquer and accomplish and transcend and achieve greater understanding and new ways of being together. So it's a really exciting time for all of us and I hope that for you, you are finding ways to support yourself in this learning and acknowledging that for all of us, we are always doing our best. We're always doing our best with the knowledge that we have available to us at the time and when we look back and we see the actions and the understanding of our past selves, where we were at, so important to be kind to ourselves and recognize that whilst we 
can see different ways now, of course, of doing things. Back then, we were doing absolutely our best that we could do with the knowledge that we had at the time. And this, of course, is not just true for our past selves, but the past selves of all of those around us right now. And not just all of those around us right now, but all ancestors going all the way back, Itatemataka. So this process of love and empathy for this learning process, I think, is really so helpful for us at all times. And I really hope that for all of you, whatever is happening around you, you are accessing those best stories that serve you well and choosing to star in the best story, your beautiful life, and doing what is helping you to be the best star shining bright. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. Environmental things at the moment is very topical, or has been for the last few years, I suppose. Um, and you look around at what you want to, want to achieve and what you want to do. And it costs a lot of money. I mean, it's easy for politicians in Wellington to sit there and say, you must do this, you need to do that. Um, you know, oh, we're going to put X, Y, Z amount of dollars up in front to help you out with it. But I just got a fencing bill today for not a particularly, um, you know, fancy fence. It's, it's, a, it's, not a, it's a six wire fence. I mean, and the bill for the fencer alone was 25,000. Um, and we did 2.6 Ks, you know, and, and that's not including the fencing materials and our labor and all the stuff else that we need. I mean, we, we did it because we wanted, we had to put a paddock up and part of the fence and native bush and stuff like that. All. Um, but it's things we, you know, it's all part of making the property more workable for how we want. Um, but it's, you know, you know, it's, it's, as a farmer, you know, you sort of get, we get dictated to a lot um, about you must do this, you must do that, especially from, from people uh, in town and people who don't have as much ideas of practicality of doing things. We think it's a pretty easy area. But I mean, if you're talking, say, maybe a fence like that costs about $15, $16 a metre to put up, you know, you can add, do the calculations quickly in your head. If you've got each farm's got 10 kilometres to do, you know, it's a lot of money. That you've got to find from somewhere. We've still got to be, we still pay taxes. We've still got to be profitable. Um, and, you know, and everything else you want to do, you know, your animals are still look after. You've still got to pay yourself a wage to live. It's, um, you know, we, you know, it is quite difficult at times, you know, you sort of get up and you just carry on with it, on with it because you can't do anything else. It'd be nice, I suppose, if you had a bit more realism put into some of the policies that are coming forward and all, all politicians that were willing to listen to actually you know, to people at the ground level. Do you have a long-term vision? For the farm? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Like, I, you know, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of fencing we want to do. We want to be planting a lot more natives and a lot more of our wetter areas. And certainly the, our main river that runs through the place is pretty well fenced off anyway. And we want to get that planted. But, I mean, yeah. And then, you know, it's been more, and it's sustainable as, as a dirty word, really, but it's abused everywhere now um but it's, it's being more sustainable i'm not interested in being organic i'm not interested in uh, things like you know big buzzwords like that it's about you know making sure that everything we're doing is improving things so when my children if they want to take over take over then they've got the farm in a better condition than what i received it in um you know and and, and with that's you know environmentally yeah we'll take the boxes when you can 
but it's got to be practical and affordable without sending you into the you know bankrupt. If you're going to do that, then farms will just get planted into into um, carbon you know carbon farming pine forests that aren't going to be touched, and your community's gone with that. That's you know that's, that's where it comes down to it. You, if you say to a little farmer you've got to spend two hundred thousand dollars on fencing, well it's not going to happen. You might as well sell the farm, plug it into trees, and walk away. We hear arguments about the the well, you say you don't want to go to organic. We hear arguments about the balance between sort of thriving and a, a high inputs, you know, you know, lots of fertilizer type model. Where do you sit on 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 that? Uh, we're a low. I call myself a low intensity farm. Um, we've got. I'm pretty sure we've got quite a lot of international people from meat companies that come through. Um, we've done stuff all around the world with advertising and things like that, and we're telling the same thing: is that that. I have uh, a policy of the animals only get shifted when they need a shift. Um, the fertilizers we use are, um, we use a lime based fertilizer and we're trying to improve our soil biology. We're trying to increase our worm, worm count and things like that and increase the microbes in the soils to do that and then build more topsoil to grow more grass. I'm not, personally, I'm not a big fan of, of, um, Using nitrogen, I mean, nitrogen is a tool, and yes, we do use it on occasion in certain areas. But, um, like, you know, in terms of dairy farmers and things like that, I think they overuse it. And if you go back to my background with economics, you can look at the economic point of view. So you've got, you know, you know what your costs are. You've got fixed costs in any business. So you know what they are. And so you know per unit of, say, milk solids, you know what your fixed costs are. But what dairy farmers, I believe, are too focused on is it's a purely a production-based uh, view is how much milk solids can I get? You know, higher the number of milk solids, the better my farm looks, the more profitable I am. Well, it's not right because what they're look, what they're look, not looking at is the marginal cost of of as extra um, milk solids. So, say you, your farm costs you five dollars uh, a kg to um, grow, you know, to, to farm. Yeah, that's with all your, your all your day to day stuff per milk solid, and then you go, right, well, the payout's at $7, so I can go and spend $1.50 per kg, you know, on urea or whatever, and, you know, and I'm making more milk solids, and it's a $7, but what they haven't realised is that now their costs are going at $6.50, they're actually only making 50 cents, whereas before they were making $2 a kg of milk solids, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, it's a false economy, really, that the marginal return is what they should be looking at and being, you know, have, getting your cost structure. So, you know, you can maximise it in those areas and then use those as a tool for maybe in dry times or times where, you you know, maybe in the shoulders of the season where you need a bit of extra feed. Things haven't quite gone right or new grasses and things like that uh, need feeding. So, um, you, so you grew up on the farm? I, yes, sort of. <laughs> I grew up on the farm... I got shipped off to boarding school at about, I don't know, 11, and then spent seven years at boarding school, and then about another uh, seven years away in Christchurch, or more than that, eight or nine years away in Christchurch and in fielding, studying, and then uh, came back in early 2000s, back to the farm. Dad, I wasn't, I was sort of drifting to nowhere, and Dad said, come back and give farm a crack, and I've sort of been here since. Well, I haven't been here since. I went to farm to master them for three and a half years and then came back again. So my, this is my second tour of duty. Hey, do you think your kids will carry on? Oh, maybe. They're interested somewhat. I mean, I think for us, it's that we can set it up if they want to. It's there. Um, if they don't want to, well, that's fine as well. The business will still carry on to provide an income. 
Um, I think the thing for us is making sure that we're protecting the asset of the farm and making sure that it's still here so that it can continue to provide income aid for us or for them later into their future lives. If they want to come back farming, great. If they don't, well, there's no pressure. We, my sister, my brother and myself never had any pressure to come back here. Um, and you know, my brother and myself are both back. So, you know, and the game thing, my grandfather had the same thing. None of his, he had six children. Um, none of them particularly uh, wanted to go farming. They, they did, I mean, they farmed, but they all had their own little pieces. None of them really wanted to come back here and dad was asked to come back and, and, and take the farm on in the early 80s or mid 80s. And um, he set some um, things up with my grandfather about what he wanted to achieve. My grandfather, look, it's fine. You know, come back and, and you know, we'll work, we'll work on that. So, and we've been here, you know, for the last 35 years. So, they would have been equally happy to not be here as well. Even though it's a stunning place. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a stunning place and your home is where your heart is. But, um, you know, he had the freedom for my grandfather to be able to do what he needed to do and how he wanted to do it. And we've got exactly the same thing from mum and dad, my brother and myself, is the freedom to do things how we want to. Dad... Dad's there to lend an ear. He's there to help if you need him. Um, but he's not going to sit there and criticise you if you're doing something he doesn't think's right. At least not loudly. No, no. Well, he, he, he'll, he'll talk about it over a beer. But, um, I mean, I think the thing is, is, to, is to stick to your guns and, and prove that, you know, that your decisions have been right. You know, we're, we are, uh, I shouldn't say, we're, you know, we're all intelligent enough to have thought about the things that we're doing. Um, we belong to the... The local discussion group, which is a good sounding board for uh, businesses, and you've got good people around us. We've got fa- uh, family, friends, uncles and aunts, and then you know other farming families that are, are reliable for sources of information. So you use all those, and as, as an, in your arsenal, and you know your decisions should be pretty sound. So how's the community going? Our community is good. We're very lucky. Um, we've got a relatively small community in Fangara. Uh, there's one large corporate uh, Maori-owned farm. Um, and then a lot of smaller family farms. So the dynamic's pretty good. We're sort of on the fringes of, of, the, of the smaller family farms. Um, but that's good. You know, we see them, um, I think once a month is a community barbecue that we're pretty shocking about attending. But, the, you know, the opportunities here, if you wish to go, about every six weeks, you've got a discussion group on a different farm that, you know, you can sort of turn up to. Um, we've got local dog trials and things like that. So we're, we're pretty good as a community. Um, certainly in times of adversity, we, we do get together. We have meetings, we build floodgates, we sit down. A few years ago, we had drought. We sat, all sat down and at a barbecue and talked about our plans for each individual farm. And every single one of the small farmers in our district turned up. You know, we sat down and had a beer and a barbecue. It's good. You've been dry this season too, haven't you? Uh, well, no. Um, I'm gonna, I said, we have a very special microclimate here. We've been pretty good. While everybody around us, north of Tolaga Bay has been dry, you know, south and west of, of Gisborne's been dry. Gisborne, uh, so Wairua and in um, at Fangara have been the only two places in North Ireland that had grass and had rain. Um, we're fortunate for that, and we've managed to sort of carry on farming through without too many uh, stresses to the situation. Let's play the second of your music choices, Bad Religion, 21st Century. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, play that one. It's a ex- <laughs> I think that's very topical. For uh, I thought about this last night. I haven't heard it for, yet, well, for, for quite a long time. I had a playlist pop up on Spotify and I had it on it a couple of days ago. And it's, I think actually, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it's very now. You know, it, and this was written back in maybe the 80s, mid 80s, the song. 
And it's it's really, for me, it, it speaks volumes of what's actually happening all over the world now. I can't believe it The way you look sometimes Like a trampled flag on a city street Oh yeah And I don't want it The things you're offering me Civilized barcode quick ID Oh yeah Cause I'm a 21st century We've seen lots of changes over the last three months or so. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I hope that I know the, the friendliness between people post lockdown and the communication people have had. I hope that sticks because we found and we talked about this um, with a few business oh, boards and things that I'm on that, that people actually got off their asses and picked up the telephone again because you couldn't physically see your neighbours. You know, you, I found myself calling them to see how people were make sure everyone's okay, have you got enough feed, you know, it, it gave you more of an excuse to do it, um, you know, enforced isolation like that. Uh, while it's difficult for everybody, you know, there were still open avenues um, to do it. I mean, I, you know, a group of university friends and I, and uh, we went up to Auckland right before lockdown, right as this whole thing sort of shit itself, the weekend before we went to um, the show, the Book of Mormon up in Auckland. There's about 15 of us or something like that. And it was a fantastic weekend. We went from that into not being able to see anybody. Um, so we did a, I think we did a, ha- a house party call between us all for four or five times. 
and it was good. You actually sat down and had a bit of a catch up, and and you you saw people. I think we've slipped back out of that now. Everyone sort of tried to get back to work and bit to normality of life. But it'd be nice to say, you know, that things like that stick around. Otherwise, you know, that was one of the more positive things to come out of the whole thing. Have you found yourself rushing back to being busy? No, I'd never stopped being busy. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Uh, work, work was busy, and what I found I actually missed, I was supposed to go away with the kids on holiday um, and catch up with my cousin and his kids, or their kids, and um, and we didn't get the opportunity, and you find yourself, I, I need to get away from the farm, I need to get out, take the kids somewhere and go and do something, whether it's sitting by the lake and fishing or just relaxing and doing, I don't know, reading a book or something like that, but you just need to find yourself to get out, and we never had the opportunity. Um, it's fine, you know, the kids didn't have school and my wife wasn't working, so they were sort of home. It's nice to see them at home, but it does wear on you after a while that, um, you know, you come home and everybody's home again and everybody's home again and everybody's home again. And not that it's a bad thing, um, but also, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to get away again and, um, you know, just to not think about the farm, slow down a bit for five minutes. Although in time, we're getting into winter, winter's quiet for us anyways. It's... Um, you know, it, yeah, it'll, it'll be nice to slow back down again. Are the kids back at school? Yeah, kids are back at school. They, re- they didn't really want to go. I think two days after being at school, they thought it was the best thing ever. Back seeing their mates again, back seeing the teachers again. Both of them have come back with certificates from school, which is really good. It shows the kids have engaged back in there again, and they're working hard, and lockdown hasn't seemed to have affected them too much. Um, you know, we did a little bit with them, but we're not really teachers ourselves, so we just sort of gave up on teaching them at home and, they did a little bit of stuff here and there, and that was that. What does the next six months look like for you? Well, we've got winter, so it'll be cold, wet probably, and then we get busy. We, we're busy right throughout Christmas from about uh, September, October, November. Is our three of the busiest times of the year in terms of the animals happening on the farm. Um, so we're just going to plug away doing that. Um, I think we've got a trip to Auckland um, to catch up with some mates. We're supposed to be going to a big concert, but that won't be happening anymore. Um, and then, yeah, and then we... But, Will, so long as it's a New Zealand band. You just have to need to find a New Zealand well, band. Yeah, well, we can go to a New Zealand band, but the New Zealand band come and see us in Gisborne for a change. <laughs> um, yeah, well, cause we're supposed to be going to Green Day, Weezer and Fallout Boy at Mount Smart Stadium for my mate's 40th. Um, but that's obviously not happening. So we'll still go up to Auckland and catch up with these guys and do something different. Um, you know, there's always something to do. And then, yeah, we're going out to Queenstown for New Year's, and it was... Well, we're staying in Cromwell with some friends and we thought it'd be quite good. You know, we leave the kids with their older kids and go down to Queenstown for New Year's. And um, all, the, you know, all the foreigners, all the tourists there, it'll be quite good. But it's actually going to be really good to go down there and not have all the tourists there. I mean, Queenstown's, I've been going to Queenstown for the last 30 years and it's a spectacular place. And over the last 30 years, it's gone from being nice and quiet and pretty chilled out to absolutely stark raving mad. So it'd be nice to be back down there and be able to enjoy it more without having a million people trying to do things all around you. You have the opportunities, I suppose, to go and do things that you previously didn't bother doing. is a down dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Hello there, bubble folk. It's Liesl here. I hope uh, today is a lovely day and you're enjoying your... Um, your lives, yeah, whatever you're choosing to do right now, I hope you are enjoying, making the most of, feeling gratitude for, and um, if you're not, hey, stop, pause, look around, 
and uh, maybe just take a minute to go, hmm, what am I thankful for? What do I appreciate in my life? And um, weirdly, a bit of gratitude goes a long way to making you feel good about things. Um, so yeah, I like to try and do a little bit of gratitude talk when I'm feeling a bit uh, low or even if I'm feeling okay. It's just really good to check in with yourself and say, hey, what am I grateful for? What is important to me and how lucky am I to have some of these really amazing things in my life? And it can be as simple as fresh air, you know, I mean, we live in a country where the air is pretty clean. Um, running water, wow, gosh, you know, I mean, it's so easy to turn on the tap, take that for granted and to forget that that is a luxury that we have, you know, turning lights on, being able to enjoy the heat of a warm warm house and you know having electricity and uh having shoes on our feet when it's cold you know that's i mean they're they're things that we forget we still actually have all these amazing you know um luxuries in our life really and then of course those are just the material things although some of those are necessities like air and water but um you know the people in your life and the relationships you have, the, the care that's around you, the care you can offer it to other people. I mean, these are just, yeah, amazing things. And we live in a relatively peaceful country um, with reasonably democratic leadership and um, pretty good access to resources in the bigger picture. It can always be better, but um, we at least have a uh, a sort of a structure that is there in place that um, we can use to try and um, create change and you know in so many ways we're just very privileged in this country um, and that's not to say that some people are not privileged in this country because I think there are varying degrees of access to these things and there is also you know clearly discrimination as well um, not everyone gets the same access so yeah I am aware of that but in saying that I'm just trying to I guess highlight that no matter what our situation is there are things in our lives that we can be grateful for and um, and it helps us feel good about our lives when we can take notice of those things and appreciate them so um, yeah I guess on the on the sort of line of that sort of along the same lines of that thinking is um, kind of Feeling good about stuff is often also about the choices you make and, you know, the relationships you create, the spaces you, you move in and how you uh, live your life. And I think part of that is also staying true to who you are. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, it's not easy when there's other people around you that maybe have um, conflicting interests or want to uh, pressure you into behaving in certain ways and uh, it's sometimes very difficult to stand up for what you think is right or live life the way that you think it's right uh, and sometimes we forget to listen to ourselves because there's a lot of noise out there saying hey do it this way or do it this way but um, that's where it's really important to give yourself pause time and I know often just even being able to say to someone if they're like can you get this done for me right now and you're like oh my gosh I just can't I just can't 
but you say yes of course you know um, in the in the moment and even learning how to sort of remind yourself to say hey I don't have to say yes right away I can just actually give myself a pause where I can think about it and say hey can I get back to you about that I just need a chance to check my diary and have a think about it and even just being able to pop that into your um, into your relationships into your spaces it can give you a little bit of room just to go hey does that feel like the right response or do I need to make a different choice um, and that gives you time to think about what's important for you so yeah, sticking to who you are, what's important to you, and um, thinking about how that affects uh, what's around you and then what, what you are in turn grateful for. So uh, I leave you with the sense of being thankful for what's around you and being true to who you are. So I will talk with you again soon. Have a wonderful afternoon. So I have some questions to end with yeah. what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years biggest success we would have had is lifting our sheep performance on the farm it's probably prayer sounds pretty boring but um the sheep drive the profitability of this business and um you know we've managed to lift our performance up significantly i think we've gone from having about three and a half thousand just under three and a half thousand lambs up to just over five thousand lambs last year so i mean it's a big driver of profitability for us um, and that's you know it's it taken a lot of hard work and you know to sort of get there but we, we finally feel we're making some gains in that area which is nice. You said sustainability is a dirty word what do you use? Thriving? Regeneration? What, what's the what's the how do you um, describe it to people? Well no, we, we like to say we're sustainable I think it's an abused word people you know it's how do we describe what we do we're eco-friendly i suppose environmentally aware of of where we are i mean if you ever come up here and you're welcome to come up here and have a look you'll see what i mean is we've got pretty spectacular views and a very high profile easily seen to property and for me we'd feel pretty poor knowing that people can look across our boundary fence very obviously and see things weren't that good. I mean, our, our discussion group is good like that. People or friends, they'll pick up on it straight away if you've got something they don't think should be there. They drive past, they see it, and they let you know. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, the team of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's the superpower that's got you there? Superpower has got me here. Um, I suppose it's hard work. It sounds pretty boring, but it's, you know, we've had to put the effort in. Um, you know, we've had to use, you know, use the top six inches as well. Um, you know, that often gets forgotten about, um, you know, and I've got an adage I sort of live my life by, and is that if you continually do the same thing and expect a different result, well, that's the definition of stupidity. So, and sometimes you find yourself, and this is anything, you're just trapped, you think, oh, we'll do this again, we'll do this again. And, and I sat down with my, with my staff, and it was really hard because we, we weren't making gains and we had to take an honest look at what we're doing. So well, we're doing the same thing. I mean, every year we're doing the same thing. And are we getting any different results? No. So why do we keep doing the same thing? Because we're stupid. So you change what you're doing. <laughs> so that's where the top six inches comes in. You've actually got to be able to withdraw yourself, I believe, out of the situation and take a good hard look at it and go, look, it's not working. 
be prepared to take a chance, be prepared to, you know, to, to try something new. Um, I'm not scared of trying things new. I did a lot of different things. I farmed when I found down in the wire wrapper, I farmed the polar opposite way to what my, my ideals are and how I like to, but it was a great experience. It taught me how I don't want to do it. That's often very important if you know how you don't want to do things to discover how you actually want to do things. And explain that to other people because you need to take other people well, with you. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the, the environment we went into was, was I say, was a very high intensity farm um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, it was more of a dairy farming model, say, but in a sheep and beef area. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. The wire farms are more geared like that than the East Coast farms. The, the, the environment that you're in dictates how you can farm. Um, and so what, what it reaffirmed for me working for someone like that is, is the way we were doing things, I didn't believe were sustainable in terms of in, in longevity. You can't continually do these things, you know, just to justify the ends of what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, you can get to a point where, like, like I said earlier with the dairy farming, about the marginal cost of each unit of something you produce. You know, that's what you've got to worry about is the marginal cost. If you can get your fixed cost down to a point, the fixed costs are always going to be fixed. It's the, it's the floating costs in between everything like that. And, that. and you can add into that your environmental impact. You can add into that your mental, you know, the mental side of things. All those things all add up. Um, and if it's pushing you over the edge to get to there whether it's environmentally or financially or mentally, then it's probably not worth doing. So you need to peel those costs back. And, and that's what it taught me is, 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 is to, you know, is, okay, look, I've, done, I've, I've been, I've, I've put myself in that situation. I've, I've done something that I didn't enjoy. Um, there were times I came home and I wasn't happy with what had happened in the day. I didn't want to be there anymore. But you've got to actually suck it up and that's life. You've got to put the hard yards in. You've got to work hard to realise where you want to be in life. If you don't, there's no point in doing it for five minutes, going, oh, it was too hard. Oh, I didn't enjoy it. Well, why didn't you enjoy it? Why, you know, what would you do differently? And try and take some of that back into it to try and change the situation you're in because maybe the person or the people or the organisation you're working with doesn't realise they're like that. Or um, maybe they do and that's just, you know, it doesn't suit you. But you, you learn something from it. You know, you learn that you don't like that. Um, so you need to, you know, find out what you do like, figure out a way to do it so you're happy in what you're doing. Because if you're not, you know, you're a long time dead. If you're not happy in your work, for me, there's just zero point in doing it. I've got plenty of mates who hate their jobs. They get paid very well to hate their jobs. A, a good mate who, who left the firm because he decided it was just too toxic, couldn't handle it anymore, had a guts full, had a year off as a house dad, and that didn't quite work out for them, but... One of the competing firms came and headhunted him and said, look, we want you to come and do this stuff for us. And he goes, oh, yeah, this is what we want you to do. We want to try this, this, that, and the other. He was like, great. Yep, sounds like a good challenge. Got in there. What's the business like? Exactly the same as the place he left. But why, and I said to him, why would you think it changes? You know, the big businesses like that that you're in are, are all the same. You sound like um, someone who has a, a, a positive vision. Have What's to have a positive the- vision. It's been, it's been the whole lockdown thing. It's been, it's been quite funny. I was talking to a guy, you know, you've always got to look at the, at the good things, you know. Uh, what we were talking about today, I was talking with someone, I can't remember what it was now, but we were talking and it was great. It was, and he was like, oh, you've got a really happy disposition. Well, you've got to look at the positive side. If you're simply looking at the negative things, you're never going to get anything achieved, are you? 
there's, there's not always something positive, but you've got to find the most positive thing out of the situation that you're in. Grab it with both hands and run with it. If you look at, oh, my God, it's dry, I've got no grass, or, oh, my God, it's too wet, it's flooding, I've got no fences. Yes, those are real things. Can you control that? No, I can't control that. So don't worry about it. Control the things you can control. Worry about the things you can control. And then everything else is secondary, really. There's always a way through. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? No, I'm not an activist. Although I think a few of the people think that I should be, but I can't be bothered having arguments. I'm a, I'm a pacifist at heart. My grandfather was a very quiet, um, you know, didn't like the spotlight, did an awful lot of good for our community and for our nation and never wanted any of the limelight out of it. I think and mum, that's come through mum and dad as well, is to just plug on, just do your bit. If you're happy within yourself, then that's probably enough. You know, you don't need a lot of to be stirring the pot. I mean, I was at activist at university. We, you know, there were things we did at university, and it was fun for five minutes. And you sort of get a bit bored of it. You, you know? sound like an, maybe an, a little bit older. Maybe not an activist, but certainly an advocate for that positive mindset. Yeah, I mean, you've got to. I think you know, if you've got to step up and take a leadership role in things, because if everybody sits on their hands and does nothing, then like I said before, the same things just keep happening again and again and again and again. It's, it's you know, why if you're expecting a different result, either you've got to change what you're doing. So, and as that means, you know, you need to take more of a role in, as uncomfortable as it might be, then maybe, you know, you've just got to step up and say, look, okay, I'll do it. Throw so yourself in the deep end. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, my sheep, you need shifting usually. And my staff, my, my staff are pretty good, but they do need me to turn up every day, well, most days. Um, Oh, my kids get me out of bed, of course. I mean, you know, you want we. I'm here as much as it is great for me and my wife. Um, we're here to make sure that they've got the best that we can give them. The, the opportunities are presented in front of them. If they want to take the opportunities that are there, great. But I think that's the important thing is that we're there to present, to give them the opportunity to be the best people that they can be and to be a role model for them as well to, of how we would expect them to operate when they're our age or as they grow you know, to become teenagers and into young adults and then to, you know, more mature people. So what challenge are you looking forward to over the next couple of years? Um, the kids getting older. I think I'm, I'm taking on a role with the local federated farmers. Um, and, we, and you know, that's going to be a challenge in itself. I think we need to try and, for our, this is our community one, um, our region, try and rebuild some of what we've probably lost over the last 10 or 15 years, I think, and um, we've maybe got a little bit lost on where we stand and things. People, beef and lamb and other people have, have risen above us in terms of their visibility. Um, and and so I think, you know, we've got an opportunity there to try and, and bring ourselves back to the forethought, you know, to the, to the front minds of farming communities that are still here. Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll go okay. We, we'll sort of plug our way through it and Again, it's a learning curve, um, but we'll jump into there and, and see what we can do. Um, you know, there's a lot happening at, at the politi- you know, at, at the political level at the moment, and the guys down in Wellington do a great job, but maybe regionally we're sort of a bit... I, I, I would have thought, you know, we we're a bit lost of to maybe we, what we're standing for or what we represent to our, you know, to our, to our members. Um, so trying to rebuild... And also, and, 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 you know, it's trying to build my business here up to you know, to the next level, to we want to be a top ten farmer in our district, you know, in the region or in New Zealand, you know, for our class of farm, 
um, you know, you want to be up there, you know, you want to put yourself up on a pedestal and so people look up to you and go, like we do, the, the other guys are going, man, it'd be cool to be there because we've got a big engine, you know, we've got a, a, a big business that's capable of making, you know, good money. And if you're making good money, then I can reinvest comfortably into those environmental things, into the fencing and planting and all those things that, you know, give you that feel-good factor. That'd be amazing if you achieve that by going down that low-intensity yeah. route. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's difficult. We're proving we can do it at the moment. Um, but you've just got to stay the course. You've got to have belief in yourself. And I, I, I'll be honest, in the last three or four years, you know, the belief wavers a bit. When, you you know, you have things that don't go your way and your accountant's looking at you and your bank manager's looking at you and mum and dad looking at you and, and, um, and, and, you know, things aren't really that rosy. And you just, you know, deep down you know that you're doing the right thing, but you need the paper results. That's the only measurable thing is that is it going to work and how is it going to work? And so it's quite good to sit down with your bank manager and he asks you hard questions and you think, yeah, guy's a bit of a dick, but he's, you know, he's actually trying to push you to be better, to make sure that you've got a handle on everything and do the job to the best of your abilities. But I think, you know, bank managers are probably a bit maligned. The last thing they want is for you to fail. Mm. Uh, and that's a real. I think for me, it's a really important thing to remember. They're not. They don't. Your bank doesn't want you to fail. Your bank wants you to be amazingly successful. They want you to have so much money coming into your bank account that you can go and buy something else, so they can stack another <laughs> huge loan to make a shitload more money out of you. That's their objective. And they don't. La- want, they don't want to be picking up the pieces at the bottom of the cliff. Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, yeah, I think you know, believe in yourself, back yourself. Um, you know, go back to the, if you keep repeating the same thing and um, expect a different result, um, you know, you're stupid. Change what you're doing. <laughs> That'd be the big thing I would say. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds harsh, but, you know, if more people looked at their lives and what they do and things like that, then, you know, maybe people were better able to help themselves or, um, you know, get themselves out of situations. I mean, you know, you've got to have the tools in front of you. I'm lucky I've got the tools. I've, I've been well-educated and I've been, you know, I've had great parents and friends and family around us, and that helps. Um, but certainly back yourselves, believe in yourself, and, you know, and you can achieve anything you want to. I mean, it sounds pretty cheesy, but, you know, that would probably be the advice I have is that, you you know, you know yourself better than anyone, you know. Thank you. So, Thank you for that. Mawera, any closing thoughts? Um, I think you nailed it, Toby, actually, and I'm going to go do some writing on that tonight. Absolutely nailed it. Right. Thank you. No problems at all. I'm happy to help. We're always helping. You are. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and all the places where you might subscribe to a podcast. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and Toby Williams on... I didn't write down the name of your property. What is it? Uh, Piatia Station. Near Gisborne. Uh, That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.